You're listening to Bloom in Tech with David Bloom. This podcast sponsored by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Hey everybody, welcome back to another fantastic episode of Bloom in Tech. I'm your host, David Bloom, and every episode we pick through the rubble of the collision of entertainment, media, and technology, looking for a few nuggets of wisdom and knowledge to help us get through this crazy time we're all in. Now, this past week, I've been spending a little bit more time than usual uh, doing a very meta thing, talking about podcasts, which is why we're here now to talk, yes, about podcasts. The occasion for this was the Podcast Movement Evolutions Conference here in Los Angeles the past three days. I made it to day one, and unsurprisingly, on Valentine's Day, I had some other things that uh, occupied my attention. But here we are, and uh, I'd like to focus on a little state of the business occasioned by some of the things that I heard and saw while at the podcast convention. Let's start with Bob Pittman. He made his name running Cable Pioneer MTV when it was great to be running Cable Pioneer MTV, and then as the guy running Digital Powerhouse AOL when it was great to be running Digital Powerhouse AOL, actually when it was still a powerhouse. But Bob Pittman got his start in media at age 15, working on-air shifts at a small-town Mississippi radio station so he could pay for flying lessons, which is what really got him going. Fast forward 50 years, and Bob Pittman's back in the business of audio as CEO of iHeartMedia, home to the nation's biggest radio station group. But Pittman also presides over the nation's biggest podcast network, and growth opportunities there have him particularly bullish, so much so that he even hosts his own podcast called Math and Magic. I'll leave a link in our show notes. And uh, it's focused on, as its uh, subhead suggests, on stories from the frontiers of marketing. Pittman uh, had a, a sit-down uh, this Thursday night, this past Thursday night, on stage, and he said, I think the sky is the limit for podcasting, but noted that as an industry, we need to keep investing in it so it can reach its full potential. I think that's true. This is a 15-year overnight sensation, much like esports, I like to say. Both were bubbling along in their own ways with uh, some benign neglect in some fashion, I mean, particularly from Apple, which was good enough to create the library of all those podcasts out there without actually putting its thumb on the scale in any way in terms of who got to get noticed. And now this business is finally taking off in lots and lots of ways with investment coming in. Now, it's important that um, despite his own bullish take on podcasting, Pittman acknowledged that it's hard to tell what's going to be big. He has to figure out, as iHeartMedia's CEO, where to put their money where they're going to make their big bets. And they need to be where their listeners are with the products and experiences that their listeners expect. iHeart made its own bet on podcasting in late 2018. They acquired Stuff Media for a reported $55 million and then installed the CEO of Stuff's Media, Connell Byrne, as head of the rechristened iHeart Podcast Network. Byrne joined Pittman on stage at the conference Thursday evening before several hundred industry insiders and aspirants. Their conversation came amid a particularly ebullient few days in the suddenly burgeoning 15-year-old business. Early in the week, Spotify bought 
Bill Simmons' podcast media company, The Ringer, for a price that CEO Daniel Eck said could reach $196 million, depending on the earnout provisions. It was Spotify's fourth podcast-related acquisition. They also include the service that hosts and syndicates this podcast, Anchor.fm. Those acquisitions totaled nearly $600 million, uh, all done in about a year, as the streaming music giant acquires control over more audio content for which it doesn't have to pay a music publisher licensing fees. For once, it actually has original content that it can control and make money off of instead of just paying for it to somebody else. It can be exclusive to them. X said during Spotify's earnings call that they are investing in a trend that is basically radio moving online. It's not quite what's happening, but it's basically radio on demand. Then he referred to Bill Simmons's ESPN background, where Simmons uh, spent 15 years. He said, what we really did with The Ringer is buy the next ESPN. That's an interesting way to put it. I'm not sure that ESPN will be that, but it will be something. Conversation about sports will be popular for a huge group of fans. There's no doubt about it. They're still going to want to watch a game, but the opportunity to talk about the games is also really important, and that's what The Ringer does at, at a very high level. The day before the conference, iHeart announced it would expand its Spanish language podcast offerings with a slate of new shows developed by Enrique Santos, who's chairman and chief creative officer of iHeart Latino. They also did a new co-production and sales agreement with digital content company Revolver. Pittman said, rightly, we need diverse voices. The same day as the Revolver deal, Sirius XM announced that it had invested $75 million for a minority stake in freemium audio service SoundCloud, whose vast collection of user-created audio content includes some podcasts, including, I must say, this one and some others that I have created in the past. I haven't put much up there in a while because it hasn't necessarily been worthwhile, but I may throw this one up there just to see how it goes. Nielsen's recent Streaming Wars report suggests that a significant opportunity exists for more audio, especially subscription audio. Already, nearly two-thirds of those whom Nielsen surveyed have at least one streaming audio subscription. It's a number that's even higher among younger demographics, unsurprisingly. And more than half the people they surveyed said they pay for two audio subscriptions. Uh, Those subscriptions are likely not just about music, given that all the big services have most of the same 60 million licensed tracks. Podcasts create the potential for unique and exclusive content outside of music's limited licensing exclusive opportunities. Streaming audio differs significantly from streaming video in one key way, Nielsen noted. More people expect it to be free thanks to a century of listening to ad-supported free radio broadcasts like those ones that iHeartMedia owns all over the country. Pittman said 92% of Americans listen to broadcast radio at least once a week. Many of those people are listening to his company's radio broadcasts. Add in the streaming music services, audiobook services, and podcasts, and nearly everybody is listening to audio in one form or another. He said the market for podcasts is, quote, anyone with ears in part because basically the consumer has really run out of time with their eyes. They just don't have time to watch everything, particularly with all the video streaming services that I've talked about a lot. As more and more of those keep coming on, there's only so many places you can cast your eyes. 
as a result, there are lots of things that people just don't get to. Whereas with audio, it can fill the niche of all the things we're doing, like cooking or driving or, I don't know, taking care of our kids that would like a backdrop but don't need all of our attention. Podcasts can also benefit when even established stars from other media use them. Pittman pointed to comedian Will Ferrell and NBC Universal's low-budget horror auteur Jason Blum, who are using podcasts to work through stories and concepts with audiences before they venture into more expensive and time-consuming development cycles in those more traditional media. It is a great place to test out ideas, Pittman said, and get them out there and find an audience if possible. And I think that that's what we're seeing a lot with some smart people who develop a lot of content uh, for traditional media, not just Farrell and Blum. Uh, we're seeing it with a lot of other folks as well, and I think that our ears are going to benefit. But Pittman had a good point. Whatever we think sitting here today that podcasts will become, it will be well beyond that. Basically, his point was the human mind can't look out into the world beyond kind of what it really knows. It has a hard time conceiving of what that next thing is. And that's a challenge we face, and it's an opportunity. In the meantime, Pittman and Byrne are hardly the only entrepreneurs and content creators looking for something different, particularly at the conference. Event sponsors included Supercast, which was spawned out of Tiny Capital, a portfolio of startups headquartered in Victoria, British Columbia, and Tiny Capital's Metal Lab product design unit. Their whole effort is to help podcasters generate more revenue, a fine idea, by creating a premium subscription tier of offerings for the superfans of those podcasts. Supercast CEO Jason Suhoy, who I talked with, said that typically 2 to 8% of listeners can be converted to subscription, but it does depend in part on how you promote it. It also depends on some substantial scale, thousands if not tens of thousands of downloads per month. And some genres or areas of focus, like health or investing, may attract particularly ardent followers willing to pay for more content as they dive deeper and deeper into the stuff that they care about. Premium offerings that could uh, be worthwhile for subscribers and fall into a couple of buckets, Suhoy said. The lower-intensity tactics include offering an ad-free premier tier, putting additional or older podcasts behind a paywall, or making the newest content available early for subscribers. Higher-intensity approaches include offering Ask Me Anything sessions, carefully annotated show notes with links and other background material, newsletters, search-enhancing transcripts, and even community features such as discussion forums for members. Depending on how much a podcast might offer in these premium features, a subscription might run 5 to $15 a month and generate a substantial amount of additional revenue on top of the stuff that a podcaster already makes from their ad-supported main offering. Among others sitting in on Pittman's talk was Bill Curtis, for 35 years publisher of The Rob Report and other upscale, highly targeted magazines. After selling his print holdings to Jay Penske, my old employer, when I was at Deadline, Kurt Co. Media, Curtis's group, turned to podcasting, establishing a studio in Malibu where he, near where he lives. Curtis and general manager Stuart Halperin, who is a longtime friend of mine, formerly with Clickstar, MovieTickets.com, and some other L.A. area tech entertainment ventures over the past three, three decades, were scouting the conference for talent, they said. 
So too was Emmy Norris, Managing Director U.S. for Paris-based Paradiso. The former Refinery29 and Bertelsmann executive told me she was talking to creators at the conference about producing potential joint projects. Paradiso was launched last fall by executives with long history in European film and TV. There were plenty of podcasters walking the halls, too. Deborah Chen, a longtime corporate consultant on capital markets, this week launched her own podcast, The Great Fail. Chen said the podcast will focus on the stories behind infamous business failures, such as the recent WeWork IPO collapse, with a sensibility and storytelling approach borrowed from narrative-minded true crime podcasts. After speaking about the project last fall at another conference, Chen said she was courted by two big media companies to join their podcasting networks. The process held up her launch for months before she finally decided to launch without being part of either. She's told me that since her podcast launch and the conference uh, got going, she's been approached by yet another network to join their operation, and she's trying to figure all that out. We should also have such challenges, but it's definitely one worth checking out. The Great Fail, I'll add that link in there, too. I managed to capture a little bit of Bob Pittman's talk, not nearly as much as I thought I had, because though I am a fine writer and one you should follow on Forbes and TV Rev and Next TV and Tube Filter, talking about all kinds of technology. I am a less skilled uh, recording engineer, as you can probably tell from this particular podcast itself. But I did get some of Pittman's conversation with Connell Byrne, the president of iHeart Podcast Network, talking about stuff. After a message from our sponsors, I'll come back with that. I also am trying something a little bit different, inspired in part by some of what I heard at the conference and inspired in part by some events today, a little essay about how to live our lives a little bit better. So that'll come after the Pittman conversation. Please stay tuned for that as well. It's David Bloom. We'll be back in a bit. And we're back. Next segment is from uh, the conversation between Bob Pittman, the CEO of iHeartMedia, and Connell Byrne, who is the president under Bob Pittman of the iHeart Podcast Network. They're talking on stage in the keynote address, uh, such as it is for Podcast Movement Evolution's first night in Los Angeles about a wide range of things. Pittman is, as you'll pick up quickly in this short segment, an avuncular fellow, a natural storyteller. Perhaps his Mississippi roots uh, pay off in this regard. He has a podcast of his own called Math and Magic, and I recommend you dig that out if you find him at all interesting. He's had quite the career and uh, a lot of stops in a lot of places, and he is uh, worth tracking, I suspect. So give a listen. This is a little bit of a little taste of all that. Here we go. And we don't have enough. Yeah, no, I mean, we're still searching for. Give us more because the more diverse we are, and the more uh, we listen to the different points of view, the more we come up with great ideas. I mean, everybody in the room is, I assume, is a, you know, is a creator in some way. And you know, if you're a creator. You almost never do the idea you started out with. Right. The idea is what you bring into the room to start the process. Yeah. And if you do it well, when you leave the room, you go, wow, we went from that to this today. 
And that's a great idea. This was a germ of an idea or an idea starter. I think too many people start going in the room with the rigidity of saying, I've got the idea, let's do it. As opposed to, let's start talking about this idea and let's get all these voices. Now, not just one person, let's get them all going. Speaking of new audiences, why do you think podcasting is this goldmine for TV and film? Well, I, I think a great story is a great story. Um, and I, it was funny, I was talking to somebody who's a TV producer and she did a, a very successful podcast and she said, wow, she said, the podcast was so great. We had a vision, we were able to go do it and you know, when you do TV, you got everybody yeah, involved yeah. And, all. and so I think sometimes it's hard to figure out which stories work because did the story not work? Did the production not work? How should I do it? I think it's a great place to find the ideas um, and also to get, to get them out. I mean, it, when I was at Time Warner, was chief operating officer, we have Warner Brothers Pictures. You can't imagine how much money we spent on script development. We got scripts galore uh, that we never made. Yeah. Because, okay, I wrote the script, eh, which ones are we going to make? Um, and I think podcasts is a good way to try out some of those ideas and see what happens. Uh, but I think it also works the other way. I mean, there are TV stuff that sort of was TV, which we brought to podcasting, which is doing well too. And God knows our you know, our big radio shows where we got great storytellers like uh, the Breakfast Club folks or Bobby Bones or Elvis Duran or whatever make great podcasts too because yeah. story good stories a good story. It's interesting. You're right. It does flow both ways. One of the coolest partnerships we did, I think, in the last year was with Blumhouse Entertainment, where we sat with Jason Blum for an hour one day in his offices here in, in, in L.A., and he, he said the same sort of stuff you just said. He said, look, if you're telling me in podcasting I can hit audiences at scale fast and production costs are reasonable, all I'm hearing is By the I way, can test For someone lot. doing movies, yeah. really cheap. Exactly. Um, exactly. I mean, a decimal point. Right. And so he's hearing, I can test a lot of IP quickly. I can test a lot of concepts fast. And Will Ferrell said the same thing. Right. I can test a lot of comedy concepts fast here and maybe find the next Ron Burgundy out of audio. So we've only got a couple minutes left. Where do you think, where do you think this is going? We're here because we all believe in podcasting. We've all been coming to podcast movement for years. We all believe in the medium deeply. Turns out you did too all along and are one of its big supporters in every way imaginable, right? Where do you think it's going? Ten, well, you know, five, ten years? It's interesting when you're on the front end to go back to, you don't know how, you, you can't appreciate how big your potential is. I, I, we tried to buy MTV Networks and manage my buyout. Viacom got it. I stayed. The Viacom guys want us to do five-year plans. I did a five-year plan for Nickelodeon. I remember they thought I was out of my mind in year five. You're, you know, that's ridiculous. That's irresponsible. Never hit a number like that. Five years later, I get an envelope in my office. I tear it open, and I pull out a sheet. It's from Jerry Laybourne, who is the president of Nickelodeon. And she had circled my five, last of my five-year numbers. And she said, what, you didn't believe, Bob? Oh, wow. Because she was like two or three X what it was. And one thing I know is that sitting here today, whatever we think podcasting is going to be, we are missing it. It's going to be much bigger. Mm. Because the human mind has a hard time conceiving of new big things. When we started MTV, and it was ESPN and CNN, no one ever thought there'd be big networks. As a matter of fact, I, I was the chief programmer and then I was the chief operating officer, but the CEO was the guy who'd come from CBS, worked for Bill Paley. 
and uh, and we were going to change. We had channels, and so I had the idea. We're going to make this. We're going to call it the company. We're going to change the name from Warner MX Satellite Entertainment Corporation to MTV Networks. And I had this huge fight with him. He goes, "These are not networks. CBS is a network. <laughs> These aren't networks." Could not conceive of the fact that these were going to be How big it major could be. networks. And yeah. he went to the cable shows in the early days. It looked smaller than this. And everybody was saying, how big could it be? I don't know. Maybe we'll stay in business. Right. Um, you know, you have very low expectations. I think this business is, as we think about it in our company, it's AM, FM, digital, and podcast. It's a platform as big as our other platforms. Mm. And by the way, audio overall is going through a renaissance where I think people for... 10 years, 15 years, sort of forgot how big audio is to people. And by the way, what do we do more importantly than anything else? We keep people company. And in an era where everybody is like this on their phone, disconnected from other people, I think having a friend and having a companion is probably more important than ever. And they're probably going to get it from the person on the radio, the person on the podcast. We're doing the same thing, just a little different conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think sort of the sky's the limit. And I think the important thing is for us to all invest behind it and to keep pushing it uh, to get that full potential. So that's the last of Pittman's thing. I hope you enjoyed it. We're going to have another quick message from a sponsor and then come back with a short essay that I felt motivated to write today. I hope you enjoy it and stick around to listen. We'll be right back. This is David Bloom with Bloom and Tech. The Stick and the Box. This morning, after a gathering of a group that I regularly attend, there's an after-meeting down the street of some of the men in the group. We typically sit in an outside area of a somewhat pretentious and super healthy little juice operation. There we share more about what's happening in our lives and what we're working on and how we can make a better way forward and sometimes provide each other a bit of feedback or ideas. At one point during the after meeting, I looked down the sidewalk and saw a couple approaching with their golden retriever, who was practically prancing as it carried a thick stick in its mouth. The dog's sweet face was animated by pure joy as it showed off that stick to everyone it passed. Later, after my group broke up, I happened to walk past where the couple and their dog were sitting. By now, the stick had been reduced to splinters and the dog sat contentedly on a seat next to its owner. I told the couple about my family's long relationship with retrievers of every flavor and color going back to when I was probably six or seven years old. Their dog's face, as it walked down the sidewalk, I told them, with that stick in its mouth, seemed like the perfect, purest expression of virtually every retriever I had ever known. The woman agreed and laughed, saying the dog looks so proud when it has a stick, which it looks for on every walk. That pride's definitely part of the dog's face, and the joy is, too. Wouldn't it be great, I said, if we all could be that happy and proud in our lives with something so simple as that stick? Then I mentioned how the dog's joy with a simple thing reminded me of my kids way back when they were young. You could buy them a fancy toy in a big box and they would play with the toy for a while, no doubt. But the box, that was a different thing. That 
was the real toy and the real joy. That box is what kept them entertained for hours as they used it for all kinds of purposes, as a tent, a spacecraft, a a car, a tank, a fort, and so much else. Like the dog, they were finding joy in a simple thing. Wouldn't it be great, I told the couple, if we could all find joy in our lives, particularly with the simple things that routinely present themselves and perhaps are just as routinely taken for granted? What are our grown-up versions of the stick and the box? What are yours? How often do you remember to locate and enjoy those emotions as you pass through your days? Part of what my group talks about is finding gratitude in our lives, even in the processes and events that challenge us most. It's not always easy to do, but it's really important to keep looking for that, even in places where it's hard to feel grateful. This week, I had my first annual physical exam in probably two decades. The doctors and the nurses and the nurse assistants and etc., etc., withdrew an inordinate amount of blood from my body poked and prodded and measured me, and prescribed additional screening tests of various sorts, mostly to catch up on all those years when I went without any annual physical or screening test of any kind. It wasn't bad, necessarily, and definitely is important to help keep me around on the planet and functioning as well as I can for a while to come. I'm grateful I was able to begin that process after years of ignoring it, Like too many people, especially men of a certain age, of which I have to acknowledge I am becoming. But even more interesting is the reason why I ended up having that exam and all those tests. Three months ago, I was in a serious car accident that left me and my spouse beaten up with persistent and painful, if not life-threatening, injuries. Against my will, the accident forced me into the medical system to deal with those injuries. Finally, I had to use the medical insurance I've been paying for, but not using, including, yes, the free annual physical and related preventive care that come as part of that medical insurance package. And finally, I was getting checked out for broader potential problems. So far, the results have been pretty positive, thank goodness. But there's only one way to know, and now, as the test results begin coming back, I'm learning. That all happened because of the car accident. That all happened because, as the police officer on the scene put it, a kid was being an idiot. I don't wish anyone anything like that expensive, painful, scary car accident. But even in all the crummy stuff it caused, all the annoyances and time and discomfort and pain, there's reason for some gratitude. Not just that we're both still here and that we're both recovering but that I was forced to take care of myself in ways I hadn't done in many years. It shows that we can find gratitude in many things if we can keep our minds open to the possibilities that even bad events can bring to our lives. And just like a dog with a stick or a kid with a box, we can find joy in little things and big if we're willing to look for it. So there's my little essay. I hope you like it. The stick in the box. Let me know what you think. I uh, It came to me, and I wrote it pretty quickly, but uh, I think it kind of hit some, st- some stuff I care about. So anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. And that's our show. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please rate, review, share, subscribe. It makes a big difference with the magic algorithm machines and helps get the word out that maybe somebody else ought to stick their ear in here as well. 
If you really like the show, please consider supporting it by chipping in a few bucks through Anchor.fm, the service that uh, syndicates and hosts my show across 10 platforms, all the big ones and some smaller ones too. It would help keep the wheels rolling on this mighty media machine. I also would love to hear from you. Uh, Anchor.fm makes it simple for people to leave audio comments. I'd love to hear what you have to say about the future of podcasting or any reaction to my piece about the stick and the box and gratitude and how we make our lives stronger and better by remembering some things that make us happy and grateful for our lives. Please share and perhaps I can work that into a future show. You can also reach me on Twitter at David Bloom, B-L-O-O-M. And you can reach me on LinkedIn at David L. Bloom. Please give me a shout. Uh, follow me over there. And I post all my stories. I post other odds and ends of things that catch my ear and eye. Regardless, I am so happy and grateful that you are a listener. It is a source of constant gratitude in my life. And I do hope you continue. Until we talk again, this is David Bloom for Bloom in Tech. Over and out. You've been listening to Bloom in Tech. I am your host, David Bloom. Thanks so much. And our podcast has been sponsored in this episode by Fabric Media in Venice, California. Take care, everyone.